0: Mac Power Users, episode 130, Computing with Kids with Natalie Morris. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie. And uh, we're very privileged to have with us this week, Natalie Morris. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You know, we had Clayton on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you've absolutely, if you're doing a show with kids and technology, you've got to get Natalie on. She is the expert in this field. And I oh, agree. Well, I don't know
1: about expert, but I am a bit of a, I, I'm very academic. I approach it very academically. I'm, I'm fascinated by the topic. Yeah.
0: Now, Natalie, I, I know you've been involved in tech journalism and reporting for a while, but I actually became familiar with you uh, through CNET, I know you were an on-air anchor for CNET, and you did the Buzz Out Loud podcast for a while. Um, and then the show that was based out of New York, whose name that I'm blanking on, it was Loaded. Uh, Loaded that's right. Yeah. The, the the morning The morning video podcast. And so I've I've been following your work for a while, and then you started having kids, and and so then this has kind of become a a topic of yours. Both, I guess, through your pregnancy, and now as your your kids are younger and grow and starting to grow up, um, following tech and and introducing children to technology, I guess.
1: Yeah, well, when I was pregnant with my first, the New York Times started to do these exposés on how technology is changing the way we parent and children are telling their parents, put the gadgets down and play with me, and that it's making children have shorter attention spans and that there are all these negative things that can happen because of technology. And I got freaked out. Um, and then I started to study. I, I read just as much early child development literature as I can get my hands on. I, I always approach everything I do academically. So, um You know, I think that there is a balance to be had there, but it's really tough for parents of young children, and it's tough for parents of older children as well. And I I know these are the formative years, so if I just let them watch the iPad as much as they want, then what's to keep them from enjoying the outdoors? So I'm always trying to walk that balance.
0: So I figured a good place to start this show would be maybe talking a little bit about our experiences with tech as we were kids and and maybe how that shaped some of our, our views on this. And so, Natalie, did, did you have a lot of – is that how you got into tech reporting? Did, did you have a lot of experience with technology as you were a kid growing up?
1: Well, I think just being in the Bay Area, you see a lot of it. But, you know, it, it, that doesn't necessarily mean you pay attention to it. But I lived in the Silicon Valley. I grew up in Fremont, um, which has you know so many great uh, electronics companies there. And um, all of my friends and dads worked for IBM. My dad is a landscape contractor, but he was very early adopter when it came to the Internet. He used to force us to get on Prodigy to do book reports when we were in the fifth grade or something like that. And I was like, what is this? I can just open an actual encyclopedia. Why do I need this computer to get, you know, we had an actual encyclopedia set and he's like, no, this, there's more here. So he forced us to use it. And then in summer vacations, he would force me to take Microsoft Office tutorials or he would buy a software package like shrink wrap at Fry's. And um, he's like, you know, through our modem, we can fax things. I want you to figure out how to set this up. And I would have to figure that out at 10 years old. Um, And it was it was really tough because back then it wasn't just a simple load program. You had to, you know, figure out how to actually execute commands in order to install software on a a machine and figure out what was compatible with what Um, it was tough. But I really gained an appreciation for that kind of thing. And so when I got into the workforce, I started my career as a writer for the Oakland Tribune and I was doing arts and entertainment type stuff and didn't really find that all that interesting. And then I went off to grad school and came back into the workforce and started doing technology journalism. And I found that to be a lot more challenging and I really liked it. And I've just kind of stuck with it.
0: I I had kind of a similar experience. My, my dad was a small business owner. He actually owned a small sporting goods store and and opened up a a couple of stores around town. And this was in the um, late 70s and early 80s. And in 1984, the original Macintosh came out. And I, I don't remember if he actually bought it used when the 512 version came out or if he bought it new. Um, some of that, that history escapes me. But at, at one point, we went out and I remember going out with him and, and bought a 128K Mac. And he brought it home and we had the bag and all of that stuff. And we pulled it out and he set it up on the on the bar of the kitchen and loaded it up because he, he – was going to use this for his business. And of course he, there were a couple of kids programs out. I there was MacPaint, And then I think there were a couple of, of drawing or basic music applications out, which were just unheard of at the time. And then kind of as it evolved, I, you know, as a, as a, a young child, I think I was four or five at that time, kind of took over that computer. And then when the 512s came out, my dad, or in the SEs, my dad ultimately upgraded to those and took those with him to the office. And that 128 K Mac ended up, we're migrating into my room. Of course, we didn't have the worries about the internet and things like that back then. Um, and they just let me play. And if I broke it, or if I couldn't start it up, or if something went wrong, and I deleted the system file, you know, I had to figure out how to fix it. I had to go find a floppy disk that had another system folder and copy it from here to there and figure out what needed to make it work. And I think they they just let me figure it out and let it be. And I think a lot of that is what spawned my early curiosity with technology So I've always kind of felt it was important to introduce kids to technology.
1: Um, But it's a slippery slope. And that's what really worries me. And I remember when we got our Nintendo NES and I started to play Tetris ad nauseum and – what is it? Contra was the one that I used to like to play a lot with the – what's the, I, I don't know I, I like probably
2: that. probably contra contra
1: with the yeah. 99 extra lives uh, up up yeah. down so anyway you know and I remember playing that so much that my eyes would start to water and then when I was walking around in the real world it was still happening in my head and I've been studying a lot lately about how the brain responds to technology versus the real life and you're actually rewiring your brain when you spend too much time staring at a screen so that that world makes more sense to you than the world you actually live in and I've been thinking about that lately about how literally I would see the world in tetris pieces um and I freak out a little bit that my my children won't be able to have what what they call theory of mind which is the ability to interpret other people's intentions and have really meaningful social interactions if they are too wedded to technology
2: I'm just thrilled that I get to use the word neuroplasticity on the show again
1: Yeah that well that's that's the main that's the big, right? That's the big, the big theory these days is that your brain is actually rewiring in order to respond to this new type of ecosystem that we have. And so there's some good things and there's some bad things about that. If you read Nick Carr's book, The Shallows, um, you might think it's kind of bad, but then when you, you know, look at some of these apps and you see, Oh, these skills do translate into real life. If you find the good ones, then you think it's good. So, I mean, I'm, feel schizophrenic about just the topic itself.
2: Yeah, You know, I think like anything, it's it's a question of moderation. Uh, when when I was growing up, it was in the 70s and 80s and computers were really new and my parents didn't encourage me. They they didn't even know the darn things existed. I, I learned about computers riding my 10-speed to Radio Shack and playing on the computers there. Mm-hmm. And the guys that worked there would let us program them and then we started figuring out how to make games. And of course, eventually, we cajoled our parents into buying us computers. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was watching a E.T. It's one of my favorite movies. And I was telling my kids that was basically my childhood, not the alien part, but, you know, just riding bikes and, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons on a table, you know, without a computer. And and so it really is a different world that my kids grow up in. And I'd like to think that I'm pretty tech savvy. But at the same time. This is so native to them in a way it wasn't to me that I'm sure there's things they're figuring out that I'm not.
1: Right. But you mentioned riding bikes. So there's that kind of balance of indoor nerdy stuff and outdoor healthy kind of things as well. And both of those things can be healthy. But does one of them start to usurp the other? And there was even last summer, the Wall Street Journal had an article about how teenagers are not really that interested in cars anymore. And so Ford is seeing that new adoption of cars is not that big of a deal because why do I need to actually see my friends and go somewhere when I can just chat with them online? Isn't that fascinating? I, I've noticed that. I've, I've noticed the people who have kids now
0: who are 16, they, they aren't – gosh, when I was 16, I mean it was a big event. On that day of my birthday, I was going to get that license. I
1: was obsessed yeah. with the idea. Right. We were yeah, up well, at
2: 5 a.m. I say, I've, watching I've the door. A 16-year-old in my house and um she's pretty interested in cars. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, maybe it's a small it's a small trend, but it's still something to to consider in the fact that you know, we don't need to see each other quite as much in person if we can just live our lives online, right? Right.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, well one of the things that we want to talk about in this show is um introducing kids to technology and and how how is we can do that especially being a Mac and iOS centric show as as Mac power users is um in a safe way and 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 what is the what is the right way to do that so um i think one of the things that we we want to talk about is keeping kids safe online because i mentioned that you know when when we all grew up there there really was no internet and we didn't have to i mean there were you know bulletin boards and bbss maybe and things like that but we didn't really have to worry about some of the dangers of the of, of the internet that there certainly are today i mean i i don't think you would you would just you have to be careful about just giving your kid, you know, access to the Internet. Here's a mainline plug in. Go ahead and go find mm-hmm. what you can find. Um, so uh, Mac OS 10 has some has some built in parental controls that I think have gotten better and better in in even iOS apps have have built in parental controls. Um, are your kids using iPads at this point? And I, I, you, I think your son probably is.
1: Yeah, my daughter uses it, too. Both of oh, okay. them started swiping across the screen at about five months, actually. My daughter's 10 months, and there are a few apps that kind of do stimulate her. Um, she really likes Magic Piano, where you just kind of hit at the screen and it makes piano. It's a really well-done app. Um, yeah,
2: same guys that did um, the um, the one where you play with the four fingers. Gosh, what's the name of that app? I'll just keep uh, talking, and I'll, I'll come back with it later.
1: I think there, there are also, there's like Magic Bando or something like that. There's a whole line of musical apps through, through the same developers and they're, they're really great. Um, And then she's, I can hear you, has the animals that come up and make the sound when you touch them. So very simple type things, Um, but she likes it. And uh, my, my son has a whole world of apps that I can give you some suggestions later, but it's funny that they don't really understand the computer quite as much. And sometimes we take it out and we show them, you know, I have one of those separate Mac keyboards that's um, separate from my iMac. So we'll say, you know, point to the M or point to the H and he can do that, but he doesn't understand that that's controlling the screen. Because then when I say, well, let's go see this online, he will reach to touch the screen. So um, it's a disconnect from them. And I wonder if that, you know, and so my husband, Clayton's been testing out the uh, Chromebook where you actually can touch that screen. And I'm like, why do I need to touch the screen on a laptop? But my son may want to, that that whole generation may think that you should touch every screen.
2: Yeah, I think that in a lot of ways, this generation growing up is just going to latch onto this touch interface in a way that. That we can't appreciate because, you know, like when we started, there were the people that said, well, I got my typewriter. I don't need a computer.
1: <laughs> right. You
2: know, right. And, and we couldn't understand what was wrong with those people. And to a certain extent, I think I see that with this generation that's growing up in this iOS or this touch world. I have a two year old nephew and I might've told the story in the show once before, but we were at, at, over at their house. And at one point he walks up to the TV and tries to swipe the TV because mm-hmm. he, he could reach it. And we all started laughing at him. And he looked at us like we were nuts, you know, like, well, what's wrong with you people? Don't you understand? That's the way this stuff works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's really something. I, I mean, I can't really even wrap my head entirely around it. But I do think that this touch interface is, is really going to take over.
1: Right. So when I read reviews, tech reviews are like, why do you need to touch a laptop screen? I just kind of giggle to myself because I think, oh, we're dating ourselves.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I making
1: ourselves seem so stodgy.
2: But that's a whole nother issue is the, you know, the ergonomics of of reaching up and touching your screen. And, and, you know, it seems like touching your screen is kind of like the electric typewriter. It, it, it's, it's trying to transition between two worlds, but eventually it's not going to really happen. I mean, if we really embrace this touch technology, these things are going to be built into our desks or I'm not really sure how, where it's going, but it's, it's not going to be a traditional computer setup
1: with the touch screen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I can't imagine, like I said, other than my son who might want to say, oh, I don't want this anymore. I'm going to move this here and then type on it and just move it with his fingers. That could be useful. It's just not a workflow that I could really, or that yeah. I do appreciate right now.
2: And maybe I could, thing, I don't know. And the thing I'm ignoring is that, you know, you keep forgetting that the iPads and the other tablets in five years are going to be five times more powerful and the software is going to be five times better. And the distinction between a traditional computer and a tablet is going to get less and less.
1: Mm -hmm. You're right. Yeah.
2: Well, anyway, Katie, we, we sidetracked you. You Let's talk about parental controls because I think that's important. because As we sit here today, we do have kids on Macs. And, um, and there's a way that there's, you know, Apple's done quite a bit to help protect you and, and set up barriers. So your kids don't get into trouble because unlike when we were kids, like you said, there is an internet out there now. And even the most innocent internet search can bring up images that I do not want my children seeing.
0: Yeah. And, and there are a couple of things you can do. I mean, Apple's built in parental controls have gotten better and better, and, and they've actually moved some of these into iOS as well. And we'll cover those, but the big ones is under um, in Mac OS X, you have the you've always had the ability to create multiple user accounts. And now you can create what's called a managed account, which is managed with parental controls. And you can even administer this account if you select the correct uh, preferences. You can administer this account for another Mac, which means you don't actually have to be on the kid's Mac to administer the parental controls once you have it set up. And so if you've got younger kids, you can do things like create a simplified finder. So they're not going to see the full finder interface, but maybe they'll just see a simplified selection with simple folders and, and a, a a more, um, I, I hate to say, I don't want to say the word streamlined because that's not correct, but as, as very simplified user interface with the simple finder. Um, and then you can do things like you can limit certain applications. You can either limit them to, you can only use these specific applications You can say that you can only use applications from the Mac App Store, um, or you can only use applications that have a specific rating because apps from the Mac App Store have a specific rating. And then you can also limit access to websites. And I found that this is a little bit hit or miss. I um, have a demo account on my machine that I had activated parental controls on accidentally. Well, I'd activated them as I was researching the show, but I'd left them on accidentally while I was doing a demo with my Mac users group. And um, someone was using my machine to demo something, and they tried to go to Macworld.com, and it was blocked by the parental controls. So I felt a little bad by that because I guess it didn't like the Macworld.com website. Ooh, so, what's on there
1: that we can't see?
0: I don't that's know. Cause, that's because oh,
2: Katie just wrote an article yeah, for
0: Yeah, I wrote an article, and David wrote an article for him recently. So now it's 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 adult website, I guess. <laughs> um and then the other thing I thought was neat is, is you can limit who they can contact. So you can limit who they can email, who they can iMessage and, and who they can contact with in game center as well as time. So you can set like bedtimes. Okay. You can use the computer between 8am and 7pm or on the weekends, you can use it until nine, but oh no, on school nights, you know what? You can only use it until six o'clock. And so those are, those are pretty good parental controls. Now for the web filtering. Um, I personally prefer using a tool like Open DNS. And Natalie, I don't know if you've got Open DNS set up in your household. We 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 actually did a show on it. It's been a while now, but um if you're using Open DNS in your household and usually you set it up at the router level, you can go in through the Open DNS configuration and really um set up some things like, you know, we wanna block any kind of peer-to-peer file sharing site, or we wanna block any porn- pornographic site, or we wanna block sites that have to do with gambling. And I, I, I've i seemed to found that their filters are more frequently updated and um, more accurate than just the general parental control filters.
1: Yeah, that's a great tool. We don't need that just yet, like I said, because my children are only on iPads. Um, but that's something that I, I have thought about a lot. And, you know, whether you use these tools at the granular level or not, I've heard some really great psychologists who've give the the advice that, Teach your children that when they're online, they are in public. They're not doing something that's private. Everything that they do is like they're doing it out at a shopping mall. So behave online as you would in real life which is great advice. And then I had another um, person at an Intel conference I went to say to me once that, you know, my children, I give them a lot of freedom when it comes to the internet. And I think her kids were around 12, this woman. And she says, but if I walk by them on their laptops and they slap it shut, it's mine for a week. So they have to be doing things that would be parental approved. And if something is on there that they're snapping it shut, sorry, no laptop.
2: Yeah, that's exactly how I deal with my teenagers. And we're going to talk about that later in the show. But it's I trust them. But, you know, it's a privilege, too. And and they can't abuse it.
1: Yeah. And then you hear people sort of going off the rails like that crazy dad who shot the girl's laptop with his gun because she was posting things on Facebook. I mean, this can get pretty crazy, right? This is, like I said, a slippery slope. We can talk about people who are walking the line like all of us. And then you, you talk about people who go off the deep end and scare the crap out of all of us.
2: Well, I also think that parents – a lot of parents are not familiar with this stuff and are just scared of the whole thing. And I, I wouldn't put anybody listening to this podcast in that category because you downloaded a show called Mac Powers. So by definition, <laughs> you know, you, you're somewhat aware of these things. But there's a lot of people out there that are completely my, – my parents had no idea – what I was doing with computers. I mean, they and there was no internet back then, so I guess it really wasn't the much trouble I could have got into. But they they really had no idea and mm-hmm. they, and no interest, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, let's take a break for a minute though and talk about our first sponsor today. It's the OmniFocus, um, and the Omni Group in general. But yeah. I want to talk about OmniFocus because they just posted this week the videos at the uh, OmniFocus setup. And so you go to omnigroup.com/slash/the/setup. And they did this, this brilliant job. They had a really good camera there. They took uh, videos of a bunch of great people talking. Uh, Michael Schechter and uh, Than Pham was there. Tim Stringer, Dinah Sanders, Sven Fechner, Kurosh Dini, Mike Vardy, uh, some crazy guy wearing goofy glasses, looks like a lot like me. And then, of course, Merlin Man closed it up. And then we did a group chat at the end. Um, so you got like, probably an hour and a half of really good content of of a bunch of smart people and me talking about how they use Omnifocus and I thought it was a lot of fun. So, uh everybody get over to the setup and I linked the one I did at com, but just go to the omnigroup.com the setup and you can up your Omnifocus game. I'm I'm certain of it. And we know the new version's coming out. They've talked about it, but the old version is still, you know, out there and even these tips and tricks we're talking about in this in this session you can use with the new version when that comes out too. So uh, if you're using OmniFocus this is a great place to go and and just in general I you know I just want to a shout out to the people at the Omni group. They did an amazing job with this whole event. And every time I spend time around those people it just becomes more clear how dedicated they are to making the best possible software. And that applies to all the products they make, you know, OmniGraphle, OmniOutliner, OmniFocus. I mean, these are all just amazing products made by, you know, frankly, amazing people. And uh, we're very uh, proud to have them as a sponsor of the show. So go over to the Omni Group, uh, check out their products, go to the OmniFocus setup and really up your game with uh, OmniFocus. And, and thanks for sponsoring the show.
0: So, Natalie, I know your kids are probably more into um, iOS as, as probably a lot of younger people are and, um, yeah, even older people. You know, we just got my grandmother, um, her, iPad, Her first iPad, and she was transitioning off of a very, very old PC laptop, and she absolutely loves it. I mean, she sits there on the couch and is doing all kinds of things with it. I did not set up parental controls for her. I thought about it, though. (laughs) Um, But um, do you take advantage of these parental controls, or are your kids still a little young for that, or...? I know there's uh, a in iOS. I do. I use Guided Access all the time. Um, explain for, that to me, because I've never really understood that. I, I don't have young kids, so I, I I get parental controls and you know the restrictions, but I don't
1: understand Guided Access.
2: Guided okay, Access so, is a godsend. I'm okay, say it. it, now, it now Natalie can continue.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let me try and pull it up. I have my children's iPad in front of me, and I'll try and pull up how you do it as well. If you if you want any, um, it, it's a little bit hard to find, but what it is is. A way to to lock the screen and lock various pieces of the screen. So a lot of times, if you have a baby who's you know two or younger, they like to accidentally push the button or push any of the you know the home button that closes out the app, and it's hard for them to find their way back. Or you know they can push the volume a little bit too high for them. So guided access will turn off all the hardware buttons if you want it to, and then it will also let you block out the screen. And a lot of times in children's apps, there's a little piece of like a button in the top left corner that will allow you to upgrade your character or buy extra things for that character, or it will take you back to the home screen where you can, you know, control the settings or there's a settings button. And if your child is playing a game and then they push the settings button, that really confuses them. So you can lock out little pieces of the screen so that they are only in the game. Now, my son has been using the iPad for too long, so when that came out with iOS 6, he was like mommy it's broken i can't get out of here so he was already beyond that and he gets mad <laughs> when i put it on now but a lot of times i want him to focus on something i don't want him to be like mm, no i don't want this no i don't want this no i don't want this again the whole concept of neuroplasticity i don't want him i want him to be able to concentrate on things so i might sometimes block uh, you know block him from just moving around too much even though the ipad that he uses is only for the children um, i know that sounds a little bit um i want to say uh fancy to have an iPad just for the kids but uh, I upgraded to the mini and gave them the la- the iPad uh, uh, retina display so I don't think
2: that's as, I don't think that's as uncommon as you think because as parents we are upgrading and we are finding we have an extra one so so my yeah. kids have their own iPads now too because
1: okay I don't feel so bad
2: Crazy David keeps buying new ones for himself and right. they just cycle down.
1: I would hate to be accused of being elitist or something like that, like oh, your kids have their own iPad, but um you know we fly a lot, so it kind of saves me a lot of grief uh, but, so but
2: this whole guided access thing is because i I was there with you i mean my you know i my um i don't have any young children, but I've got this infant nephew that we actually take care of quite a bit, and I really love little kids so so he likes me, you know, in, in the Philippines that you call the Uncle Tito. So Tito David is like the cool Tito. I always like hook him up with this stuff. But just like you are talking about, he figured out that home button and, and it's just fun to press it because it's one of the only buttons you can press on a thing where you get some kind of tactile response. Mm-hmm. And so even if he enjoyed a game, he would eventually just reach down and push it anyway. And then we'd go through the whole process of getting them back into, you know, the the children's app that he was playing. And as soon as I think this was iOS six that this came out with, uh, we enabled it. And uh, and it's a much better experience as a, you know, as a parenting device.
1: Yeah, it's such you can find the controls if you go into your settings and go into the general option. It's in accessibility which is a little bit hard to find. And then you'll go into guided access. You turn it on and you set a four digit code. So your children can't just turn it off themselves without your four digit code. So you could keep changing it if they figured that out, I suppose.
2: Yeah. And you'd think it would be in restrictions. That's where I I looked for it first. And it's not, it's accessibility.
1: Right. I found it the first time because as soon as they announced it at the iOS 6 announcement conference, I was like, this is amazing. I can't wait to use it. So that was one of the first things I turned on when we, we upgraded to the new iOS software. But then I found it once and then I had a hard time finding it again. So I had to Google it.
2: So, yeah. you it's know, very man. useful.
1: There are it's a cool lot things. of cool things in accessibility. I mean, I,
0: I give um, kudos to Apple for adding these features in because they're designed to make iOS devices accessible specifically for people who may have disabilities or impairment, but there are a lot of cool things. Like I turned on recently, and I digress. But the LED alert for flash uh, to flash when you when you have a a text message or an email or something or your phone rings—that's pretty darn cool too. Either oh way, yeah, there's other fun stuff in there. i have just by the way, so lots of fun stuff. Um, but there's been this this big. Um, uh, big to do recently. And I think Apple just entered into a settlement of a class action lawsuit where people were complaining that their kids were buying millions and millions of dollars worth of Smurf berries and other um, in-app purchases, I suppose. Um, I guess they didn't know that if, you know, I, when you put your I, uh, your Apple ID password in, that it's it's good for so long. And so they were downloading these inexpensive or free games. And then the kids were going out and buying virtual goods using their parents' real money on their credit card. And so they would ring up quite a bill. And so Apple has added that now to their um, restrictions. So you can now, in the parental controls, which is in general restrictions, you can limit access to downloading and installing apps and to in-app purchases. So you can lock down specifically when you're going to require a password for in-app purchases. And then you can also do stuff like limit access to certain apps like Maybe you don't want your kids to have access to Safari. Maybe you don't want them to have access to mail. Maybe you don't want them to be able to FaceTime or camera or um, you don't want them to install any additional apps. And those are all things that that can be done in the parental controls for iOS
2: now. So, You you know, on that, Katie, one thing you have to be careful about is a lot of the – even if you don't want your kids in Safari and you lock them out, a lot of these apps, even games, have browsers built into them. And a classic example is uh, Angry Birds. Because they put links to YouTube in there to go watch the, um, to watch the cheats or how to, how to beat the level. And then all of a sudden the kids on YouTube and YouTube is one place with little kids. I don't think you want them.
1: Mm -mm. No. And, you know, what's also interesting is that when Apple introduced guided access, they said that it was more for the sort of special needs education space. They didn't really market it as something for children, But when I heard about it, I was like, this is perfect for children. So I'm wondering how that works for them. And I don't know enough about the use of the iPad and special needs other than what I learned about from 60 Minutes.
2: Another good use for that is, and this is totally off topic, is if like you're at a conference or you're at a booth somewhere and you've got like a demo running of something and you want people to be able to play with your product but not go out and check their email.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I hadn't thought of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, David, if you want to turn off all web access period for iOS devices, you can actually configure that um, using time controls. If you have an Apple Airport as your main router,
2: yeah, you were, you were you said that, and I had I hadn't thought of that, but that's pretty clever.
0: Yeah, if you use an Apple Airport as your main router, and you go in into the settings and get the MAC address for your io your kid's iOS device. So figure out what that Mac address is, maybe copy it and email it to yourself or something like that. Um, and then you can go into airport and then you can do go into Mac address filtering and then you can limit access and you can actually, per device, you can set kind of like you could set time controls in the Mac OS system preferences. You can set time controls based on the router um, because obviously these devices are always Wi-Fi. They're not you know, plugged in or hardwired. So you can set um and, and I guess you could do these for computers too. You can set times that they can only be on the internet, you know, between these times and these times, or I guess for some devices, you could conceivably say, you know, not at all.
2: You know, it's interesting uh, as we go through this topic and Natalie, you were saying your kids just use iOS. They, they really aren't interested in computers at this point and you haven't really exposed them to them much. Mm. Um, I think that that's probably going to become the norm.
1: Oh yeah. I think so too.
2: I mean, I, my kids were playing with computers when they were very young because they were in my house and I had computers, uh, but we didn't have these these tablets and things back then. But even now, as we fast forward, my older kids don't spend much time behind a computer, you know, maybe when they're writing something for school, but ma- mainly they're just iOS.
1: Yeah, so- that's such an interesting phenomenon. It'll, it'll be interesting to see when they have to write, com- you know, write reports and um I- I wonder, do they even teach typing anymore? Like, you know, I know how to type from typing class. I put my fingers on the home keys, but do they teach that to children?
2: You know, they they don't teach it in the school, at least where I live. They don't teach in the school. And my 16-year-old, I've been begging her to learn to type for years. And, you know, every year I buy the software and she starts and she never really finishes. And, you know, I think it's a mistake, but at the same time, When I watch how fast she types on like an iPad, much faster than I could. Yeah. Or on the phone. It's just, it's crazy. And then now she's doing a bunch of dictation stuff because she's my daughter, right? Mm -hmm. So she sits there and talks in a paper and I'm like, maybe it's just not as big of a deal. Maybe I'm the typewriter guy again.
0: Yeah. I'll tell you, typing is probably, I I took typing, and I think I took it my freshman year in high school is when it was the actual typing class that we took. Now we had keyboarding classes in maybe it was the middle school or junior high level, but that, that freshman year in high school, when I walked into that typing class, there were no keys on the keyboard. You sat down at these, these, and then yeah, they, were, ours too. they were great keyboards. They were those old IBM keyboards that were really clicky. And uh-huh. um, there was the F and the J key for uh finger placement. And that was it. Th- those were the only keys on those keyboards. And that was the only way that I learned to type because until you could not cheat, and I, I, to this day, maintain that that was the most valuable experience and most valuable class I've ever taken, period, in any of my educational experience to date, because that, that class has served me through throughout college, throughout law school, throughout my career. I mean, I, I can be sitting at my desk and sometimes the way that I sit, I've got a keyboard tray, And depending on what I've got on my desk in front of me, the keyboard tray is actually pushed up under my desk. So I can't see my fingers and someone will walk in my office and I'll turn and I'll look at them and I'll continue typing whatever the end of the paragraph is in my head while they're talking to me. And it just freaks them out. But, um, you know, taking exams or, I mean, I always typed all of my exams, even though at some point I had to go buy it. Believe it or not, I had to buy a typewriter to type my law school exams, David. Can you imagine Um, Yeah, we
2: had to uh, write them when I took them. Well, you either, that
0: was it. You either, you either wrote them or you had to go buy a typewriter to type them because they didn't trust those fancy computer things. Might, uh, you might be cheating somehow. But I typed my law school, uh, exams. And, um, I mean, I just, I was able to fly in compared to all those people who, who wrote them. It was, I, I still think typing is a valuable thing. And if you want to, I think if you want to teach your kid how to type, you need to go get a keyboard and get some paint and go, go get an old clicky keyboard and wipe the keys out.
2: Oh, you're tough. You're a tough lady. Yeah, just take all the keyboards can, out of the house.
1: Yeah, if you can find um, just a Bluetooth keyboard without any keys. I'm sure you could find something like that on like Newegg or. Yeah, um, they're out there. I'm sure they are. Or just get an old keyboard and some ever- nail
0: polish or something. And That's an idea. Blot out the keys. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, we're so, I'm too We're, too we're a a slave dad. drivers. I, you know, I've tried. <laughs> she's
2: not that interested. And in, I'm going to let. She's going to go out into the world and <laughs> have to figure it out, I guess.
1: I guess. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, that's one of my things that you know. My husband and I are always talking about how, like, we think that Android can be kind of complicated. And I said, but well, you—you'd be surprised at the people who buy these devices, and they have such a drive to learn it, that it doesn't matter if it's complicated. They're going to get around it because they want it so badly. Um, Android may not be a, b- a good example of that, but, you know, y- you underestimate people's desire to communicate. So they'll, they're going to learn to type in their own way. It might not be fingers on the home keys, but th- people can still do it pretty fast with the hunt and peck.
2: Well, the, the same daughter that doesn't want to learn how to type, I was talking to her the other night and she was typing a text message to her friend and she was looking at me while she was typing it. Uh I said, wait a second. Are you looking at me and typing on your phone at the same time? She said, yeah, I do it all the time. (laughs) She can type on an iPhone without looking at the screen. I, people watch me type on an iPhone and they just cry. It's so terrible. I'm so bad at it. So, and did that
1: text message say the thing that she thought it was supposed to say? I made her show
2: it to me. I'm like, I don't believe you. So then Uh I started dictating and she looked at me and typed what I wrote and she got it. I didn't Hmm. think it was possible anyway. I think I'm going off track again, Katie. <laughs> hey, hey, let's talk really quick about um about a uh, hover.
0: Yeah, let's talk about Hover. In fact, um Hover is one of my favorite sponsors because I use them all the time. I probably use them more than I should. Hover is simplified domain management. And I know with my previous registrar, they weren't interested in selling me a domain. All they were interested in was just upselling me on all of these other services and I would get to my cart and there would be $40 worth of items and I have no idea cuz all I wanted was this one simple, you know, domain. And maybe that's not what you get when you get with Cover with Hover. And just the other day, I woke up at 6 a.m. and um, I had an idea for a domain name. So I reached over to my iPad and, you know, punched in a couple ideas. And unfortunately, the .coms weren't available, but I was able to get the .nets of these two domain names available. And, you know, you can get – they've got all of the other ones. If you don't want the .nets, they've got the TVs and the .cos and the – I mean, they had .dot .whatever you wanted. They They had them all. So, um, Hover just made it really simple to enter the idea that I had to find the domain name that I was looking for. It was a little too simple cause I kind of keep buying them. Um, and Hover will tell you if it's available and if it's not, it will come up with some suggestions, so, uh, some suggestions for you after you type in the keywords and it will figure out if what you want is available and you know, here you go, here's some ideas for you. And when you have problems, uh, Hover will be there to help. Or even if you don't have problems, even if you just want them to take care of it for you, maybe you're transferring a bunch of domains from another provider Uh, You can just pick them up and pick up the phone and call them. They'll answer. They answered my phone call in the first ring, the one time I needed to call them. And they said, I explained to them my issue. It turned out it wasn't a Hover issue. It was a problem with the people on the other end. And they said, you know what? We got this. You don't have to worry about this anymore. And sure enough, they took care of it and sent me email updates and kept me updated along the way. So they just answer the phone and fix whatever the problem is. So I have transferred all of my domains over to Hover. The process was seamless. You can manage your own DNS if you need to point your domains to other places. Uh, They also do great email hosting. David, I know you handle all your email hosting with Hover. So go check them out. You can go to hover.com slash MacPowerUsers or enter the coupon code MacPowerUsers at checkout, and you'll get 10% off everything you buy from them. And uh, thanks to Hover.com for sponsoring the show.
2: And and here's a parental tip. Go on Hover.com and buy your kids' names, domains. I did that mm-hmm. a few years ago, and I, they're just sitting there, and I told my 16-year-old the other day, you know, com is yours. And she's like, what do I need that for? But I said, when you get old, you'll find something for it.
1: Yeah, that's a great gift. I've even done that as a, as a baby gift. When, oh,
2: you know when what? I, I never thought of that. What a good idea. Yeah. So, so when your friends have a baby, you send them, you know, a gift card and a domain.
1: Or you just buy the domain and, you know, transfer it over to their, yeah. you know, either give them a login or something like that. I've done that before.
2: Yeah. Well, hover is a great place to do it because they're just really nice people. And they yeah. all
1: easy. my sites are run on hover. Are they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my email client as well.
2: Yeah, I have do-
1: a at morris.net for, for my email address.
2: Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, um, one thing about these iOS devices that is an advantage as a parent is find my friends. And, you know, I, You know, you were talking about, you know, second guessing yourself as being too extravagant with your children. I have an 11 and a 16 year old. They both have iPhones and there's a whole story behind that. But they both have iPhones and I'm just going to leave it there. But one of the things I really love about it is at any time I can see where they all are. And uh, for me, the find my friends is, is just a really key thing with my family. And, you know, we all have it turned on. You know, I don't care if they know where I'm at and they don't care if I know where they're at. At least they don't. They say they don't. (laughs) It's a condition of use in our house. And it's it's very useful when we're out and about.
1: Yeah. Sometimes I get so used to it that I forget that I can't use it for my toddler because I'm used to, (laughs) if I like, I'll use it on my sister and and she lives in California and I'm on the East coast, but I want to see if she's at home, then I'll call her. But if she's at work, I won't. So I look where she is on a map and then I'll give her a call. I do that for my mom. I do it for my dad, for my mother-in-law. You know, if they're out to dinner, then I won't call. Um, And so sometimes I'll even just want to pick up my son from his preschool and um, think like, oh, I wonder what he's doing today. Like my head has sort of wrapped my entire life around it. I'm like, he doesn't have an iPhone. It's like, he sat on him.
2: Well, we did with our our 16-year-old. She didn't get an iPhone until she started high school. And- you know, it was a big deal. And we had all these talks and blah, blah, blah. And then the 11 year old is really into singing and she's in several like community theaters and whatnot. So there are places we take her and leave her and uh, we were going to get her a phone and we started looking at it and it was about $20 more to add an iPhone to our account than it was. In, and we would basically Daisy, my wife got a new phone. We gave her her, her old one, but it was about $20 more to add an iphone to account versus get one of these burner phones and pay the monthly or whatever on it and i got thinking how much would it be worth for me to know where she's at if i really need to know where she's at mhm and it would be a lot more than $240 a year so yeah um, so I said, okay, we're just going to do it. And of course the old one went ballistic. It's like, I would
1: she- <laughs> have a younger sister. She always got the privilege. Of- she didn't have to wait. Like I did.
0: Yeah. My brother did too. I have a younger brother. We won't even talk about who got a TV in their room and who had to pay so for their unfair. own. Anyway, go ahead, she didn't David. have to
1: make her bed. She didn't do the laundry. He got me started. I'm not going to stop.
2: She's <laughs> a little angry there, Natalie. I'm not sure. Yes.
1: <laughs> it goes way beyond an iPhone.
2: But the uh, but find my friends I think as a parent is really a, an excellent tool. If your kids are on iOS, and even if they just have an iPad or an iPod Touch, you can enable it on there as well. And it's not going to always work. You know they're going to have to be connected to the internet. But it's pretty nice. Yes. And there is a parental control if I, if memory serves, where you can make it so they can't turn it off. Yeah. I think Although so. I, I've never done that because you know in our house there's a big discussion of trust.
1: Yeah, I really – I'm on board with that. I think that you know if you show them that you don't trust them a lot of times, that does more damage to the relationship. Of course, every teenager is different and I don't have a lot of research to back me up because I'm not there yet. But that's sort of how in my head I think th- is the parent that I want to be when they get yeah. older. So one thing parent. that um, that bothers me a little bit about, about I um, Find My Friends is that you have to sign in every time if you don't have a lock on your home screen. And I don't like to keep a lock on my home screen. So I have to sign in every time I open it up. You have to oh, re-sign you, in to your Apple ID.
2: Why don't you put a lock on your home screen? That's
1: It slows me down. I can't be yeah, slowing down. You know, down. that's scary,
2: though, because if you lose your phone, like, in an airport or something, I know. are, you know.
1: Yeah, but you can, you know, remote turn it off with Find My iPhone. Yeah, so, but the
2: damage could be done. I, I, I think you should I put know. a lock on it. But I you know,
1: hate you, it, though. I have done it, and I hate it.
2: You can set it up so it doesn't lock immediately. You can put it so you can only unlock it. And then like if you, for 15 minutes, I believe it doesn't, the lock doesn't re-engage. So like yeah. if you're turning it off and on, you're good.
1: Maybe I should play with that for a little bit because I've done yeah. both ways. And I just really hate having the lock on my home screen.
2: Yeah. I, I'm a big so. fan of home screen locks, but you know, part of it's because I'm a lawyer and I can't imagine someone picking up my phone and, and getting access to my client emails and things like that. So yeah. I'm a, I'm where of do you course, stand on a, this,
1: Katie?
0: Uh, Yeah. I got to have a lock on it. Got to have a lock on it. Now I didn't, I will admit, I didn't for the first maybe six months to a year that I had my iPhone. And then I just kind of thought about all the data that was on there, especially when we we got to iOS 2.0 and apps and I started using it more and more
1: and more and more data on it. I was like, "Mm, nope, got to do it. Yeah. Well, I I know it's the right thing to do. I just hate to be handicapped. I just don't like to be slowed down in a fast world.
2: Just just put yourself, um, th- just put yourself, do a role play, and just say, okay, I'm in an airport. And no, I, just I have
1: got- lost my phone many times. I have okay. lost seven iPhones in taxi cabs.
2: Wow, no.
1: seven. <laughs> seven. Mm-hmm. When I, think I was that's living a in Manhattan. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, okay, I'll save so, you that story. But if you so follow you, me on Twitter, then you know that already. If so you've gone there. Oh, you've I have. Had, all right, yeah, well and then, I still I am doing the sort of ignorant thing, so.
2: Well, whatever. I mean, it's not, it's not the end of the world. It's not like. I guess you uh, can't
1: play in ignorance if you know the consequences. It's more stupidity. Yeah, well,
2: anything. I mean, I don't know. It's just And it depends <laughs> what you've got on there. Maybe it's not that big of a deal.
1: Well, no, I mean, you know, the banking sites you have to sign into and the social networks I don't care quite as much. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I, like I said, I know the argument for it. And if I were to do a segment on you know, television, which I often do, I would say everyone should keep their home screen locked. I just, on a normal basis, don't. Yeah, do as I say, not as I do. Exactly. Well, exactly. I
2: would try this. Just do this for me. All right. Uh, go into the uh, security settings and have it. I think you can say it up to like an hour. I'd look right now, but I'm, I'm going to get distracted. But uh, go into the, um, to the passcode lock section. And try it one time and say, require passcode after one hour. Yeah, I can go up to one hour. I'm looking now. Okay, and just see if that funny. becomes too much of a distraction.
1: Let's oh, see. Can- okay, I'm doing it right now. And require passcode. Oh, you can even do it after four hours. But I mean, what's the point of that? Because there's no saying that I could I could yeah. do it for an hour and then lose my iP- iPhone 20 minutes later. And then they have 40 minutes to wreak havoc.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: Whoever well,
2: took it, you got me there. <laughs>
1: okay, all right. You think about that.
0: Let's
2: move. <laughs> I think I'm going to stop beating up guests about yes. security. I, yeah. I, that's a that's one of my problems. <laughs> one of my many problems. <laughs>
1: well, I acquiesce on this. I know it's the right thing to do. Like I said,
2: yeah, it's tough though.
1: So, Natalie, when you when
0: you give you introduce your kids to, to tech, I mean, we we've talked a lot about tech on the computer and and tech on the actual iOS device, but but what about these accessories or, you know, cases or other things that go with the tech that, that help enhance that experience. Do you have any favorites?
1: Well, yeah, you know, I was in an Apple store in, in the Grand Central Station Apple store a few days ago, and I noticed that they just started carrying kids' headphones. And that's something that I've always been a little bit afraid to do because I know that they say up to the, um, up to the under the age of four, you shouldn't be able to have your headphones go beyond, uh, or maybe you're not even supposed to use them up until the age of four. And even after that, you want to limit it to 80 to 90 decibels. Um, And it's really hard to find. You can't just go online and on Amazon and find kids' headphones and find the decibel count on there. So I asked the person who was working there, does this only go up to a certain decibel limit? And they said, yes, I think these are 80 to 90. Maxell also makes some good ones. My son doesn't love wearing headphones. It kind of freaks him out a little bit. But when you go on a plane, you know they they can't really hear what's going on 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 their movies if you don't put them on um so he actually doesn't wear them because i think i think they i think you are supposed to wait until four um and he doesn't really care so much about what's going on on the screen he just wants to watch it um but i think that's that's always a good a good um conversation to have especially because in the united states we don't set the decibel limits for our ios devices whereas in europe they do
2: yeah and so you used volume- to, I think
1: you can set a volume limit. I know you used to be able to on iPods, but I think- right. You, you can set it, but without that setting, it doesn't stop at 90 decibels. Whereas I, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago right. in France, they sued mm-hmm. so that um, iPods and iPhones cannot go over 90 decibels. Gotcha. Gotcha.
2: Right. Now, kids will just turn up the volume as high as you'll let them. So you definitely want these volume limiting headphones if you're going to put them on.
1: Right, especially because the if they're not in-ear and they don't make a seal, then they're going to keep jacking it up so that they can hear it the best that they can and tune out us, I guess. <laughs> so um, that's something that I'm always really interested in because – you know, I don't know if you read, there was about five or six years ago, there was an expose in time about how your in-ear cilia, once you damage those, they cannot grow back. It's not like your liver or your fingernails. Once they're gone, they're gone. So that's one thing that I'm always a little bit um, bullish about is making sure that we keep the volume down. And m- when my kids um, were infants, and my daughter, we still do, we, we use the uh, a sleep app um, to to put white noise on them when they're sleeping. And so I have a friend who, uh, I don't know if you know, Greg Joswiak is the lead developer of iPhone. And I I wrote him and I said, Hey, what is the decibel limit on the um, iPod touch or the iPhone? Because my husband jacks it up and puts white noise really loud next to my son's head. And I'm worried that it's causing damage. And he just sort of laughed at me. He didn't give me the actual number. They don't publicize that, but he just said, I'm sure it's fine. Um, Because, You know, I don't know if you know, um, that, uh, but what's his name? I can't remember the guy who, who, uh, suggests that you swaddle and and white noise your children. If you if you've had a baby, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, see, I'm
2: so far beyond it. I don't. You know, um, it's all. Changed. It's not the
1: happiest baby on the block. Maybe it is. It's the happiest baby on the block. I can't remember his name, but he says, "Put the white noise or the shushing as loud as they're crying." So my husband's like, "Jack that up," you know, so that it calms them down, and it does work. <laughs> but I didn't really love, you know, putting that next to their head, so I always keep it far away.
2: I, I did John John Coltrane with my kids, so. And that worked too. Seemed to. Yeah. And they do kind of like jazz, so it worked. <laughs> the, uh, but no, I, I was on vacation last year, and I was sitting at you know a table, and there was this family next to me, and they were all on their, their iPhones or whatever they were looking at, tablets. And there was this kid with them, and he was like eight, and he had headphones on, and I could distinctly hear what he was listening to. Mm-hmm. And it was, I, you know, I felt I had this kind of crisis where I wanted to go over and say, you know, you need to turn it down. So <laughs> uh, I didn't, you know, it's not your kids. It's not your, you know, I don't even know these people, but you see that once in a while and it, it just breaks your heart.
1: Yeah. And I think I've heard people say that the rule of thumb is that no one else should be able to hear your music. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another pet peeve of mine is can you not put your phone down for dinner? Come on. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I don't cook for your iPhone. That's a big, <laughs> we, that's a big pet peeve we, of mine, too. We,
0: we digress, but I'll tell this story. We have, um, we have uh, a, a firm meetings with all the attorneys in my firm every Wednesday morning. It's a small firm. We have breakfast together. And so we, we started to get bad about this. So, so now we institute a rule that uh, phones go face down in the center of the table. And I, I don't know if – I think I heard about this from somebody else, and I don't remember who. But first one to reach, buys. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's cute. I like it. Yeah. Mm. So, but uh any other accessories that I mean are there special cases cuz I mean I'm just seeing that that iPhone or iPod Touch or iPad just get flung all around the place.
1: Yeah. Um we use. let's see what's the, who's the maker of this case right now? It's called uh C Y C N E T T and it in cases It encases it completely, but I also wanted it to be able to stand up on itself. So, and it's kind of soft and padded. I had one that just kind of snapped on the back and that just did not cut it. And I got some um, damage done when this fell out of the car, when I was getting one of them out of the car seat. So, um, yeah, I I like the ones, uh, you know, you can't use just a regular uh, Apple made the magnetic folded one. That's not going to cut it. So um, you want one that completely encases it that, you know, front and back. And also that you can stand it up if you want them to watch something on an airplane or, or something like that. And we have, I wish I can remember the name of it. I'll, I'll I'll give it to you so you can put it in your show notes. We have one that holds it up into the car seat, um, into the headrest. So it snaps onto the headrest and then you put on a case and it snaps right in so they can watch it if they're either forward or backward facing in the car. And that, that helps for road trips.
2: Yeah, there was one I saw, uh, just somebody had an iPad for the kid at a restaurant, and it had, like, handles on it, and it was rubbery, and that kid could have thrown that thing against a wall or whatever, and it was fine.
1: Fisher-Price makes some. Um, I'm not so in love with Fisher-Price, because I think the plastics industry is really tough on our environment. All those plastic toys are not so great, but I know Fisher-Price does have a line of them.
2: Yeah, this one is called, I just looked up, it's called Squidoo, Mm S-Q-I-D-O.
1: Yeah, and I and there's nothing. Something else called the wombie, where you um, put it in, and it it makes the iPhone a toy. So like it's um, it looks like a little f- fuzzy starfish that you put your that you put your um iPhone in. I think it's called the wombie. It's it's called the woogie. I thought it was the wombie. The wombie is a swaddle blanket. Um, the woogie, W O O G I E. Okay. And um, yeah, it, it makes your iPhone kind of a funny stuffed animal and, and it's got speakers as well. It's got a, a line in Jack. So if you've got really little ones, I think they'll like that.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, you need to start thinking about that stuff. If you're going to put hundreds of dollars worth of technology in ch- little children's hands, cause they do like to throw things once in a while
1: mm-hmm. and <laughs> slobber them.
2: Yeah. What types of, of apps do you use with uh, these iOS devices and your children?
1: I can give you a couple of my favorites um, lately. My son is, you know, he he knows his ABCs, but he doesn't necessarily know the sounds that each one makes. So there's one that Apple's been featuring lately that's free for now, but I think they are going to start to charge for it. It's called the Endless ABCs, and that one is so darn cute. Where they'll give you a word, and then you'll see the letters scattered about, and you need to match the letter into the word. But as you move the letter about, it'll make that sound as you're moving it. So as you start to move the L into the place where the L should go. It'll go la 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 la, and so they're starting to associate the sound with the letter. Um, same with you know every letter. It's really really sweet. And then my friend really, er, my friend, my son really likes Grandpa's Workshop. Is another one that's super fun for toddlers, and that's kind of a old crotchety grandpa who's got you helping him out in his workshop, and you do things like. You know how many? I need three screws. Find the jar with three screws, and they have to match that. Or I'm going to cut this board into thirds, and then you have to cut it into thirds. So you're learning everyday lessons, but actually doing kind of tactile things, um, and that is a really fun one. Um, and then counting bear is one that I started them out on is another favorite where you just touch the objects and they count up. So every screen it'll say, touch the elephant. There'll be one elephant. And then the next screen has two things and it says, count the oranges and you have to touch them and they count out loud. It's very simple, but really, really effective for helping them learn, you know, counting up on things. I could keep going. I don't know. How many do you want?
2: No, these are great though. I it's, it's just amazing. I, boy, none of this stuff existed when my kids were little, I would have loved it.
1: It's really fun, and I'm, I am tend to be really picky about them because they're, you know, the storybook ones I don't love quite so much, and you can get some really recognizable stories. We've got things like um, Peter Pan. My son likes it a little, the read-along, but not quite as much. The ones that are more learning-based are the ones that he likes, but he won't really sit through even some of his favorite books that we read at night, like Fox and Socks. He won't sit through the app that reads it to him, so um, that doesn't necessarily in my experience translate. Uh, but I know they're really popular. You can get all the Dr. Seuss books, you can get all the Disney books, um, you you, you can get anything you want there, but he likes the ones where he's required to participate. Um
2: well, well and as a parent, I mean, I don't know, when I was when my kids were little, I I took so much joy into reading books to them. It was like you know, I would do the voices, I would like prepare for it, like and, like it was like I was giving a a reading costumes and, uh, and everything. He, well, no, just, I mean, I would, but I would practice and get the voices <laughs> down and I would, you know, make sure I could get through it. And it was so much fun. The kids loved it. I, that's one thing where I'm not sure apps are the right way to go.
1: Yeah, I don't, I, I agree with you on that. And I was worried that it might ruin real books for him. And thankfully it hasn't. And especially because my husband's such a comic book nerd that he's found a lot of age appropriate comic book things that really engage him as well. So he doesn't necessarily want You know that world to mesh with this world although he's obsessed with super superman lately so there's a superman app by dc comics where it is a story but you have to put stickers on them and they're not real stickers that you put in your ipad it's just little stickers that you slide up into the story and you can move them about and he does like that okay. Um, I also really liked ABC Food, which was one when he was really picky because it teaches you, like you just push the letter and it'll give you a bunch of foods with that letter that start with that letter, like E, eggplant. And then they show you, you know, where eggplants are grown and you have to do like, help me slice the eggplant. Uh, He went through a really picky stage. So I kind of wanted to jazz up food. So he got excited about it. I'm not sure that really got him through it, but it was still a cute one. And then um, everything made by this app company called uh, Duck Duck Moose. I really like, I just opened one. Um, they have one called Draw and Tell, which he really likes, which is just sort of a doodle pad, but you can doodle in stencils and different things. And then you can narrate your drawing as well. If you want to, you can push record and use the iPhones or the iPads microphone and say, well, you know, this is my doggy, and I made him jumping in this lake. And so it, and then it, you can send that off to your mom or whatever, to grandma and grandma can tell you know, hear them telling you about their drawing, which is so cool. Um, And then they've got one that my son really likes as well called Trucks HD, where it's you, you know, move cars around and you can change their tires and, you know, use the tractors to dump out dirt and all of that fun stuff.
2: Yeah. You know, it it really is. I mean, I hadn't really paid that much attention to this stuff, but I'm looking at these apps you're pointing me to. And next time Oliver comes over my two-year-old nephew, I'm going to definitely buy a few of these.
1: You know, I have a board on Pinterest that I try and keep up to date called Children's Apps. So if you follow me on Pinterest, I I like to put those up because my my mother and my mother in law like to buy these apps as well for when the kids come over.
2: Yeah, and then yeah, you cool. also you also have the Mommy Beta blog.
1: Yeah, I I don't do that quite as consistently. A lot of times that's just sort of my brain dump. Um, But, you know, I'm working on a actually um, another mommy project that should launch in the next couple of weeks where we're going to do app reviews for children as well. Clever.
2: Yeah, I think that's needed.
1: Yeah, it's hard to find. I used to do it for consumer reports as well. And I think people appreciate that because you've got this great device and then you're like, what do I want? And you don't want to invest in something that's crappy. And, um, so, you know, I'll buy the crappy stuff and let you know.
2: So how, now how do you decide how much time your children spend with these apps?
1: Um, that's a really good question. I haven't really needed to put time on it yet and a lot of times you know they say don't use screens as a babysitter but now i have the baby as well as the toddler so sometimes when i need to put the little one down for a nap and the older one is still eating breakfast i will leave him there with the ipad while he eats and i feel a little guilty about it but you know what can you do you need one of them to be safe and occupied while the other one is is going down for a nap or getting a diaper change um But, you know, I I recently watched or we recently read Robert Lustig's book about uh, what's it called? Fat Chance, about the obesity epidemic in the United States. And he's a pediatric endocrinologist. So he treats children with chronic obesity. And he says, you know, one of the there are two ways that we really can fight obesity in this country. One is to abolish sugar, soft drinks, juice, that kind of thing. And the other one is to match screen time to exercise time. Um, and I really liked that as every hour of screen time to one hour of play, minute per minute. And I think that's a good rule of thumb. I haven't needed it because my kids don't just sit around and stare at the iPad. They they want to move and play. And so that's still a draw for them. Um, but I think if I were having this struggle at home, that probably would be a good rule of thumb.
2: Well, we, um you know, inspired by Clayton and also uh, Lex Friedman and other of our guests, we, we recently purchased a... Um, a treadmill at the Sparks house mm, and mm-hmm. we've got it downstairs by the TV. And basically the rules, if the TV's on, somebody's, somebody's marching. And you uh-huh. know, it's not a hard and fast rule, but you know, we're kind of early in the process yet. It's only been a month, so it's still new and interesting. It hasn't been a place to hang a laundry yet. Um, but I'm very curious to see how that goes.
1: Yeah. Well, go for you. I mean, anything to get you moving, right?
2: Yeah. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, uh, our sponsor, Frank and Oak, and this is a new sponsor from us. And Frank and Oak is a men's clothing online store, which seems like a weird sponsor for uh, Mac Power users, but really it isn't because I have no sense of design. And I was telling my wife, I think I spent more time thinking about my clothes, um, you know, after – I graduated law school. Up until then, I probably had about an hour into it total for my whole (laughs) life. And uh, I still have that problem. If anybody's ever seen me in real life, they know that frequently my clothes don't match and I look kind of disheveled. And uh, so I started going to Frank and Oak when they started sponsoring the 5 by 5 Network. And I've bought several clothes from them now. And I like it because they have interesting stuff every month. And it matches. So you know, someone like me can just pick out a few things and you don't look completely like you know an idiot so it's a great thing for someone like me so so they design and sell a new collection of premium clothing every month nearly everything's under 50 dollars. joining frank and oak's free vip program which is what i did gets you free shipping both ways so if you don't like it you just send it back and it's 10 percent back in store credit for every purchase you make and free home try on which means you can try on the clothes you order before you purchase them and then, uh, So head to frankenoak.com to check it out, and uh, we're going to have a discount show, uh, code in the show notes. We just haven't got it yet, but uh, when you use it, you'll get 20% off your order, so it's definitely worth it. So please follow up on that, uh, and they just released a beautiful new iPhone app, so you can shop on the go. Download it for free from the App Store. Frank and Oak is the easiest way to shop. It's no risk. You can get quality clothing and free shipping. Order from the comfort of your own home, and so check it out, and sign up free at frankenoak.com, and thanks for sponsoring the show. Um, you know, I'd like to move on a little bit towards the teenager issues. And I keep saying teenagers, but I think it's just older kids. You know, once they get beyond, you know, uh, five or six years old, all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of new things you have to start worrying about with the technology. And they're getting more access to these And uh, the first one is the discussion of privacy. And, Natalie, I thought you made a really good point. I mean, privacy is something – Uh, privacy and just respect for each other, something you need to show as parents towards your children. And I've always felt strongly on that. I don't use a lot of these parental controls with the kids' computers, um, but we talk about it openly about what kind of things are out there and why you need to avoid that stuff. And so far, knock on wood, I really haven't had much trouble with my kids and technology. Uh, They don't overuse it, and they don't go places that I don't think they should be. I mean, occasionally like I maintain the computers in the house, so i I stumble into logs. I don't necessarily go looking for them, and they' they're doing okay things with the computers, but I'm also constantly present. One of the things I did with my kids is you know, we had a Mac in the house that the family shares, and there was no iPads and iPhones at the time, but we kept it we we made a decision that the the family computer is downstairs in a common room. So as the kids were growing up using computers. Uh, We were walking around them all the time, and Mm -hmm. we were always kind of seeing what they were doing. It's kind of like the TV in the bedroom versus the TV downstairs.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, when I first joined CNET, I did an interview. This never aired. I think we actually lost the tape. But um, I I interviewed a woman who does online – she does research for – I think it's a psychology department in the University of New Hampshire. And she found that the kind of people who are actually preying on young children online is not the scary lives with his mom in the basement, tattoos all over themselves, you know, eats his dinner with a knife kind of guy. It's more like the everyday guy that you might f- – pass in the grocery store, who is befriending your child and creating a relationship that's mostly innocent until it's not. Um, And the media makes it out that it's this scary guy, right? When the way it happens is is much more, it, it starts out a lot more innocent. And I asked her, what's the problem with the fact that the media portrays these guys as scary? You know, who cares the way that they're portrayed? And she said, the problem is that teenagers will think that what they're engaged in is not... That they'll think that it's their fault because there was a person who they gained their trust and they confided in them and they thought that it was okay and they were participatory until they asked them to do something that they were uncomfortable with and then they've gone too far down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And so they won't tell their parents about it because they feel like they've done something bad. So, you know, the way that we need to portray this to our children is, you know, you can make friends online, but, you know, most of these friends we need to know in real life. And if you're making a friend that we haven't met before, then maybe you should introduce them to the family, but you shouldn't have friends that you don't know in real life that the family doesn't know. Um, and if there's a relationship that makes you uncomfortable in any way, we need to discuss it. Um, And you're not going to get in trouble for it because a lot of times they're manipulated to go further than they really would have otherwise felt comfortable with. And that makes me really sad that a young child would get to a place that they're uncomfortable with, but not be able to talk about it because they feel like they're responsible for it.
2: And so much of this is communication and even like role-playing with your kids. Uh, This isn't necessarily technology related, but I remember when my oldest was, was really young, I think she was in preschool and I We were talking to her about strangers and, you know, one of the common things strangers do to little kids is they ask for help. And we're trying to say, you know, adults will never need help from you. You know, when they ask you for help, then they should go find another adult for help. And she she said, OK, I said, so what would you do? If an adult said that he needed help, you know, with something and she said, I wouldn't help. I said, what if he told you he had a little bunny that was sick and it needed help? Would you? He said, oh, I'd help him. She said, Mm -hmm. and it just freaked me out, you know, so it it is something like that. But I think the next level is in technology. Um, You know, what is what types of social media are you doing? Now, it's interesting with my kids. I don't think and maybe I'm clueless, but I don't think that, you know, this praying of strangers is really an issue so much because they're very tight with their, their friends. And those are the people they're online with. You know, we don't, they don't go to chat rooms. They have their, they have their friends on Facebook. Does that make sense?
1: It does, and I'm I'm just not sure how that happens. You know, having only had a toddler, but you know, I think that when the internet started to really gain popularity in the early 2000s is when people started to you know get really scared. And the media loves those stories, right? That there's someone out there who wants to meet your teenage daughter and you know do yeah. bad things to them. So um, I I don't know exactly how that happens, but I you know I'm encouraged to think that your your children only are friends with real friends. Well, so I mean it, they.
2: And that's the way they use the technology like um, a FaceTime, you know, on the Mac. They have they'll leave it open and sit there and do their homework and talk to their friend. And I always wonder how much homework is actually getting done. But then they'll, I'll see them. They'll be holding up the paper of the math homework to the camera and showing them. I mean, it's um, it's just a very different way of using this technology that I never really thought of.
1: Yeah, yeah, it definitely is
2: well, well privacy's is an issue and i think that really the solution is and i believe you know some of these parental controls are very good especially when the kids are young but as the kids start getting older the solution is not offloading it to apple the the solution is sitting down with your kids and talking about this stuff and that that kind of leads to the discussion of social media accounts and um my oldest got her facebook account 2 years ago and she was i can tell you she's the last of her friends to get a facebook account they all had them And she kept asking me and I'd say, no, because I'm not a big fan of Facebook. And generally, you know, the way social media, you know, collects all your information and uses you as a product and I don't use them. So I was a little leery about it. So this is a good example of the parent who doesn't understand. And I realized that at some point she's just going to do it anyway. She's a smart kid and there's only so long I can keep this off. So I said, okay, let's do a Facebook account, but let's do it together. And we had a long talk and I said, You know, going back to the beginning of the show where you said everything is public that you do on the Internet, I said, look, this is the beginning of your public life. When you open a Facebook account, a picture you put here, your grandchildren are going to see. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you want to put up a slutty picture of yourself, your grandchildren (laughs) are going to be asking (laughs) you about it. You know, and that's exactly the way I explained it to her. Mm -hmm. And and so we went and we signed up for Facebook. And this was two years ago. And so we signed up, they, they took her birthday. So they knew how old she was. And I was shocked that all of the privacy controls were turned off. I mean, it's like, okay, you have a Facebook account. And then we had to go digging for the privacy stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and I'm told that they've made it better now, but I don't, really have that much faith that they have. It seemed to me like they made it into a game. Like they would even change the size of the confirmation boxes and the background coloring. It was like they did everything in their power. It's like somebody.
1: And most of it's opt out. It's not opt in.
2: Yeah. Right. And somebody was like in a room somewhere just laughing their butt off while they were making this saying, how how can we make it harder for someone to push the right button to make sure that they have privacy? Because that's the way it felt to me. Um, But we got all the way through it. And now she's been using Facebook for a couple of years with her friends and, and she's okay. But the other thing I did at the time, because, you know, I'm the curmudgeon who doesn't have a Facebook account is I talked to my relatives who do have Facebook accounts and they all friended her and they're watching, you know, so I've got a pack, you know, that's watching her. And now the 11 year old, she doesn't have any social media stuff and we didn't allow it. But, um, what we did do was allow her to just recently, get an Instagram account cause all her friends have it. And that's, that was a whole nother, that was a long conversation about, you know, taking pictures and putting them on the internet.
1: Yeah. And after the Instagram debacle, when they changed their terms of service to show that, you know, any company could use your, 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 photos for promotional purpose. I deleted my Instagram account and I thought, and they, they went and they revised it and they backed up the truck a little bit or whatever the saying is back the bus up. But I still was like any company that would do this and and then, you know, have to apologize for It's a company I really don't want my children's pictures on.
2: Yeah. And so many of these internet companies, that's like the bottom line for them. That's how they're going to make money is, is, is monetizing this stuff. Yeah, but it, it's interesting because with my younger daughter, that's all of her friends have Instagram accounts. They're not interested in anything but pictures, right? And, and then if you look at it, they're not even using, they're not even taking pictures so much as they're reposting funny jokes. You know, people put jokes up on Instagram. Yeah. And that's their big thing is they repost these jokes.
1: Yeah, what was the but, one that was popular a while ago? Rich kids on Instagram or something like that. This rich. Uh, it was like Michael Dell's daughter was posting pictures of herself on a yacht. And it's a, it's a blog now. It's kind of a funny blog. <laughs> rich, I don't know if it's rich kids on Instagram or millionaire kids on Instagram.
2: Yeah. If you're, if you're getting for a off.
1: laugh, look for that.
2: Well, you know, Natalie, I know that um, among other things of talking to podcasters, you actually have to go take care of children. So <laughs> we can't keep you too long.
1: Yeah. Um, I, my, my baby monitor is showing me that one's waking up. So I got to run.
2: Real quick, which baby monitor are you using?
1: I'm using the Luvion. I don't love it. I'm, um, there's a few that I'm interested in testing that actually have are iOS compatible. I've, I've tried some of them, and they weren't great, but those are getting much better. Wybings is one of my favorites now that I want to look into next. But um, the Luvion, I can switch it between cameras. So I've, I've got two, one in each child's room, so I can toggle back and forth. Um, but there's a... There's another one that actually splits the screen that's a little bit better than this one, but I made the mistake of giving it to my sister. The Lorex, Lorex is the one that I like the best.
2: See, I'm typewriter guy again with my kids. It was just an audio thing.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, well,
2: then, and my parents made fun of me for that. They're like, we could hear you crying just fine. We didn't need that.
1: <laughs> well, my husband's got a really really intense surround sound system that we sometimes like to watch TV when they're uh, down to bed. No. So I would never yeah. be able to hear them if we didn't yes. have something like this. No,
2: I, if I had a baby, He's crazy. I'd, totally, I'd have, no. I'd have a holographic image, you know, <laughs> actually have the baby in the room with me, you know,
1: <laughs> I like to be myself above them to just check that they're breathing.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> well, Natalie, what's, what's the best place for
0: people to find you and, and to learn about, uh, I know you're blogging about some of this stuff and, and to hear all of your recommendations and revelations on these types of things.
1: I suppose Twitter. It's Natalie Morris on Twitter. There's no E on Natalie. Okay. Sounds good. Well, we'll put links to your blog and your
0: website and your Twitter and Mommy Beta and Pinterest and all that other good stuff in the show notes. And I think I've got links to most of the stuff you talked about on the show.
1: Okay. You can ask me if, if you don't, if you need some other things. Um, like rich kids on Instagram or something like that.
2: <laughs> so, well, thanks so much for taking the time and joining us and sharing all your insight because it, it really is, uh, quite remarkable. I mean, I can tell you've thought a lot about this and, and you're in the trenches right now. You're using this stuff.
1: Yeah. And also I have just another minute. I, you know, my husband, he, he developed an app I'm sure he told you about called read quick and that was kind of a family endeavor. And, you know, we've been thinking about, is that, is that a good way to help our children learn to read quickly when their homework really starts to pile up? And, you know, we're not sure, but we do have educators who write us and say that they've found ways to use, and it's a speed reading app for iPad. So it allows you to take articles that you want to read and read them one word at a time. And we've had educators who write us and say, you know, this has been really helpful for some special needs or some, you know, learning classes. And so that's something like the rest of the technologies we've talked about today, that's going to work itself out. And we're going to see if that works. And it could be that, you know, just like the touchscreen that kids like this way to read and like this way to unitask um, in a way that we never really were able to appreciate. But just for someone like, you know, him and I who work in the news business who need to read a lot, um, or even the weekend warrior who likes to read long form content, it's proven to be pretty useful. So I'm in the trenches in terms, of a app consumer and a Mac power user and all of that kind of thing. But also, you know, we're developers now in our family. So we have to think about it from both angles.
2: Well, we've had a lot of great feedback from listeners. We talked about that on, on the Clayton show and, um, I just had dinner with a friend the other day who's, who's just loves it. He found it from the show and he's using it all the time. And I'm so glad to hear that a lot of people have found it. We heard from a a lot
1: of your, a lot of your listeners about it. So we were really excited about it.
2: It's a good fit, you know. Uh, the people yeah. who listen to this show are, are very smart, usually smarter than me, frankly. <laughs> and so they're always looking for that new edge. And I think the big hang-up with ReadQuick, what we've got to figure out is, you know, how to get even more content in it.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, now we have uh, tech meme in there. And, you know, we're we're trying to figure out how to get books in there, yeah. too, which might be coming soon. I'll tease that little update. So, yeah, yeah find ReadQuickApp.net if you want some uh I could see some, like even just a web service. I'm sorry, readquickapp.com. I don't know why I can never get that URL right. requickapp.com, or just look for it in that. Well, you can go store. get the .NET from Hover, I guess. We could. Maybe <laughs> we already have it and I just don't know.
2: <laughs> I could see like a, a web service where you could just upload like um, text documents. And Actually, it, it looks like we do like,
1: have it. It redirected. So. There you go. Yeah. Either of those work. Well, thanks, you guys. I got to go run and All get right. this little creature out.
2: Well, take care and thank you again. Nice Thanks talking so much, to Natalie. you all.
1: Bye bye. Bye bye.
2: You know, Katie, we had a couple other things in the outline. Natalie had to go, um, but I did want to follow up just with, um, you know, when do you give your kids these eye thingies? And, you know, I talked a little bit about it, and I think it's just a question of when it becomes appropriate. Uh, with my oldest daughter, she had a flip phone in junior high, and then she got an iPhone in high school. With the younger ones, she got the iPhone earlier. But, you know, this stuff isn't as new and and shiny as it used to be. Um, And I don't know where I live. I live in Orange County, California, which is a pretty nice area to live in, frankly. But it's not like Beverly Hills. But, I mean, most of the kids have have, um, smartphones at this point of one form or another.
0: Yeah, a lot of it depends on the kid. A lot of it depends on what your kid's doing, what their activities are. I mean, if they're going to school and getting on the bus and coming home or – you know, maybe, maybe you don't need to be as in constant contact, but if they're out and about and in dancing and in softball and all these other activities, you know, then it becomes more of a problem.
2: But then when I was a kid, it was pretty, you just had to be home by the time it was dark and, yeah. you know, that was fine. So sometimes I think I'm
0: somehow we survived.
2: Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, one thing I do monitor with my younger one is like her, she has an iPad because you know, they've cycled down now. Um, I don't let her take it to bed because she can't be trusted with it in bed. She'll wake up and start watching content in the middle of the night. So one time, and that was that, you know?
0: So they, they go into their charging stations at night.
2: Yeah. They, Yeah, exactly. And then, and it's not in her room. And then uh, her school has a a test program right after we had Fraser Spears on about education and iPad, the school started a test program. And so we've been sitting under school with an iPad one and she's typing reports on it and doing all sorts of stuff on it. So I can definitely see the, you know, the future in this touch. Absolutely. Either way, I, I I don't know, you know, I've always been told that talking about parenting on technology podcasts is like the third rail. <laughs> and, oh
0: yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get email. Uh
2: but it's you know, and but this is an episode that I thought was worth doing and I know a lot of our listeners are interested in these things. So yeah. there it is.
0: All right. Well, David, why don't we talk about our last sponsor and then let's try to wrap up with some feedback. I'm game. Okay. So our last sponsor for this episode is Squarespace. And I kind of wish Natalie was here because I know that she hosts all of her various websites on Squarespace and she's got, you know, a site that's very different from yours, a site that's very different from mine. And that's one of the beauties about Squarespace is it's everything that you need to make a unique and amazing website. So it's, it's a template based website, which means you can create it off of their amazing templates, but then it's completely customizable so that your site doesn't look like my site and my site doesn't look like Natty's site. I mean, it's fully hosted, completely managed environment for, creating and maintaining a beautiful website, blog, or portfolio. So no matter how experienced you are about building websites, everybody can build something beautiful and amazing in just a few minutes. You don't have to worry about the hosting that's already included. You don't have to worry about scaling or integration. They've got all of these templates that you can use to get you started. And then it's just drag and drop and figure out what kind of elements you want to put where. Um you know where do you want to put your sidebar? Do you want to integrate with Instagram and have your Instagram photos pop up? Do you want to put a blog template here? Do you want to maybe have a Google map here um and it's um they've got some a new program that they're rolling out called Squarespace Commerce, and it's never been easier with Squarespace Commerce to start selling online. So they start to let you add a fully integrated store to your website and you can start accepting payments. Uh, not much to set up there. You just integrate it into your Squarespace account. You can add in a store to Squarespace website and you can actually start selling both physical and digital goods. You can manage your inventory. You can process customer orders. You can print packing slips. You can customize emails. Uh, boom, it's done all from the Squarespace interface. You don't have to worry about what your site's going to look like, depending on whether you're an iPad or an iPhone or an even Android device or one of those other things, because the entire site is going to scale automatically to fit on that device and maintain the integrity of the site's design. And if you want to know whether or not you're actually getting traffic to your site, Squarespace has got stats too. You don't have to go out and buy or get involved in some convoluted other statistical program and link your site out to somebody else. Um, they've also got Android and iOS apps that let you manage posts on the go. I did this, as I said, quite a lot when I was posting from Macworld, iPod only, and if or iPad only, I should say. And if you want to import content from your existing blog, you can do that too. That's how I got started with Squarespace. So here's the deal. When you sign up for a year of Squarespace, you get your own free custom domain name. It's $10 a month for the standard plan, $20 a month for the unlimited plan. And if you sign up for a year, you automatically get 20% off that. And if you sign up for two years, you get 25% off. If you want to pay month to month and you've already got your own domain name, say maybe with Hover, uh, you can link it with just a few clicks. And there's no credit card if you want to try it out. Simply go to squarespace.com slash MacPowerUsers. And we can even do better because if you decide that you want to buy after you try, click the enter offer code link and enter MPU3 and get an additional 10% off. So go check out Squarespace. Everything you need to create an amazing website. And thanks to Squarespace for their support of Mac Power users.
2: Yeah, and that intro offer code is very small, so you have to look for it carefully. But it's worth 10%, so so look for it.
0: You know, I actually had someone email me and say that they, I actually had a lot of people email me and say that they've gotten um, websites started with Squarespace and couldn't find that. And that they emailed Squarespace to say, Hey, just want to let you know, we found you through Mac power users. Thanks for supporting the show, which we love it when you email our sponsors and say, thanks for supporting the show. And Squarespace went ahead and gave them the discount anyway. Isn't that cool?
2: Nice. Nice. Good. Well, um, we've got some feedback. Uh, One of them was about the transporter, which is a sponsor of the show we've talked about several times and. And I heard from a reader said, well, what happens if the hard drive dies? You know, can you replace it? And yes, you can replace the hard drive. Um, if the hard, hard drive dies, it's just like any other hard drive. If it dies, it dies. So you're not going to recover what's on there. But the way the transporter system works is you know, you've got the data on other locations and devices as well. That's kind of the idea. So it will see if it's got the data in other locations. It will automatically repopulate itself when you replace the drive. Um, So, you know, transporter is great for offsite backup, but that's not like that, which is one of the use case scenarios I talk about often. But if that's your only source of that data and the drive dies, you've got a problem. So, you know, the idea behind this is that you're using it as offsite backup. So you would already have a copy of the data somewhere else and it will repopulate. Did Did I make sense of that? Sometimes I think I'm crazy the way I talk through these things.
0: Well, you kind of did. And and probably the easier thing we can do is tell people to go check out the how-to videos on transporter site. We'll put a link of that in the show notes. And they really explain how all of this works because, yeah, that's one of the things we talked about with the Transporter is it can be hard to explain because it does so many cool things. So if you go to the Transporter how-to video site, they've got um, videos that really explain this. So yeah, if your data is backed up to another Transporter, Automatically, it will repopulate. And what's cool about that, too, is it means you can replace the hard drive. So if the hard drive dies, you can replace it. Or if you decide you want to upgrade the hard drive later, you can do that, too. So if the data exists on another transporter or in more than one places, boom, it's automatically covered.
2: Yeah. And you can put a bigger one in, for instance, if you decide to. Yep. Okay. And those, those videos are very good. So check them out. I tweeted them out the other day because I was, I was watching them for my own benefit. I'm like, you know what, this is useful. So uh, we'll put it in the show notes too.
0: Uh, We've had a lot of people writing in about Sonos and David, I am really concerned about this because it seems like it's an expensive habit and it's one that I'm very curious
2: about. Yeah. I I think that Katie, you're like the perfect um, no. Person for Sonos because I am. I think I am. Yeah, because you know you live by yourself. So if I live by myself, I could have these things in every room, and you know I could put my John Coltrane on or my Thelonious Monk, and I could walk around the house and just listen to it, just nice and loud in any room.
0: Well, uh, I mean, I've got a setup right now. I mean, right now I've got. Um, airplay speakers in my office, I've got, you know, computer, pretty nice computer speakers in my office connected to an airport express that's connected to my printer. So I, you know, I've got one called office that's set up and then I, I blogged about this once before, but I've, I've, I've got speakers connected in my kitchen and I've kind of run a, run a cable up, um, through the cabinets and the speakers to hide everything. So I've got these speakers up above my kitchen shelves that you can't see. And it's just magically music coming from my kitchen. And I've got, um, yeah, the Apple TV in the living room and that's connected to the television speakers. But I'm thinking about getting a soundbar for that. So I've got speakers there. And then I've got a, uh, an iHome dock next to my bedside in my bedroom. And then I've got a Jawbone Jam box in my bathroom. So I've got all – that sounds weird, right? I've got a Jawbone Jam box in my bathroom.
2: Um. Anyway, moving on. I didn't say anything.
0: Okay. Uh, there was just that – yeah. Uh, so I've got – all-house audio, which is really cool with AirPlay. You know, I just double tap to bring up the little audio controls and I decide what speaker I want it to go to. So it works, but I, I don't think it's as seamless as this as this Sonos system. So I, I've, I've put something together, and it's not as kludgy. But anyway, what, what Brian is saying, and Brian wrote in and was commenting on our Sonos discussion, and he says, I've been an apartment dweller for the last decade, and he loves the Sonos because he has three speakers, bedroom, living room, kitchen, and he set them up in what's called party mode. Um, which I can't do with my airport uh, sp- setup currently. Um, I, I think you can if you're playing from iTunes, but you can't from an iOS device, which is what I'm doing most uh, m- most of the time. And what party mode means is that party mode simultaneously simulcasts all the speakers together in sync. So he listens to all of the, you know, it's like he's, he says he listens to Mac Power Users podcast all throughout the house. And that's very cool because that's a problem I have. Like this morning, I'm, you know, living at home, by myself, of course, I'm living at home, but I'm walking around the house. I'm in the office. I'm in the kitchen. I'm in the bedroom. I'm you know cleaning up. I'm doing all kinds of things. And I'm walking around with my iPhone in my pocket. And every time I move from room to room, I'm swapping speakers. Yeah. So, maybe Apple will fix that in iOS 7 and allow me to stream to multiple speakers. And maybe they'll figure out to do it in such a way where there's not lag. Or maybe I'm just going to have to drop a couple grand on some Sonos. Or maybe Sonos is listening to the show and would like to send me some.
2: Good luck with that. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, we also heard from Philip about passwords. And, you know, one of the questions is, because we talk about 1Password, who is a a sponsor of the show, Um, you know, what, you know, I generally just remember my 1Password password. And Philip said, well, what are the other ones you need to remember? For instance, um, when you buy stuff from iTunes, you've got to type in a password. So do you save that in 1Password? And for the longest time, we did not. Um, we had, you know, we just had a standard password. Um, the, uh, with the newest version of one password, however, you've got favorites, so you can save to favorites and then you can have this, you know, really wacky password and it doesn't take that much longer to get to it. So you can copy and paste in there. Um, because we share a, a iTunes account for our family purchases, um, the wackiness of the one of the password for the iTunes is not it it is something that you can remember it's not just all mixed garble because you know my family and kids would what they would end up doing if i made it really difficult password is they would save it somewhere where they could get to it easily that wasn't one password and it would be less secure uh, but so itunes is one place where you may want to remember a password um, Dropbox and email, uh, uh Philip had asked, do I ha- keep those out of one password? No, I actually use really crazy passwords for Dropbox and email. And by the way, we just had daylight savings, everybody. So it's time to switch all your important passwords again.
0: Um, I thought you did that when the Oh yeah. When the time changed, that's right. I was just going to say, I thought you did that when you put batteries in your smoke detectors, but you're supposed to do that, too, when the time changes, aren't you? So many things to remember.
2: Yeah, but, you know, you don't need an easy-to-remember Dropbox password. You can make a crazy Dropbox password and just use the 1Password app to update it on your various devices. And, in fact, Dropbox has got even easier now because other apps can plug into your Dropbox database through the Dropbox app. You don't need to type in your Dropbox password in the app.
0: Yeah, but, but here's one thing that I will say, especially if you've got two-factor authentication turned on in Dropbox. You can find yourselves in a place where you don't necessarily have access to one password. I would suggest that you have at least your Dropbox and probably your Apple ID password somewhere, and I'm not saying like in your wallet or in your purse or in your pocket because that's not necessarily secure, but somewhere that it can be gotten to if for some reason you should get find yourself without one password.
2: Well, there's an easy solution for that. I, I keep a thumb drive mm-hmm. that with data and part of it is encrypted. You know, I just made a sparse disk image. I did this years ago. And um, in that encrypted image, I've got the um, my one password database as a text file.
0: Yeah. And I've got that, too. And I've got that in a um, in a in a, a, phys- a lockbox. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, but just our thoughts on that. I'm We're sure we'll get feedback on that.
2: Such nerds.
0: So we're still getting a lot more feedback on this idea of disposable email address. And Josh wrote in and said, you know, Gmail supports a lot of this. You can have the ability to append the plus sign and then whatever you want to the end of your username and your email address. So, for example, if you're using MacPowerUsers at gmail.com, you can use at MacPowerUsers plus Apple at gmail.com. And so if I wanted to use that as the email address that I used for everything Apple, then I guess it would still come to me. Um, or I guess Gmail also apparently uh, completely ignores the um, period or the dot character in email addresses. So again, if I have users at gmail.com, I could use users at gmail.com and they would all go to the same place. Um, so I guess that that helps you validate email addresses more correctly and then the other thing you can do, he mentioned is if you have your own um domain, you can do a catch all email address. So uh Josh had his own domain and, and he the email that came from him was MacPowerUsers at his dot com. And if I, I replied to it and he replied back to me. So um I guess that's, you know, one way to then you can shut things down if you start getting spam.
2: Yeah, but it seems like such a lot of work. It does. But um it makes sense too. All right. Hey, let's um, how do you get a hold of us?
0: Well, you can find links to everything that we talked about in the show notes, and those are available at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5 x tv slash MPU slash 130 for this episode.
2: You can also send us feedback to feedback at MacPowerUsers, uh, which is an email. And you can find us on Twitter at Katie Floyd this is Katie. I'm at Max Parkey and the show is at MacPowerUsers.
0: And app.net too. Yeah. For all that. Yep. Yeah. And uh, we love iTunes comments, so if you get a chance, drop us a line in iTunes. And uh, that will wrap us up for this episode. Uh, thanks to our sponsors for this episode uh, Frank and Oat, Hover, Omni Group, and Squarespace.
2: We'll see you all next week.